everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Two Drunk Fans. Today we have a special guest joining us. We have Allison McCann, who writes for 538. You might know 538 for their sports coverage or for picking future presidents. Hi, Allison. What are you drinking? <laughs> Water, unfortunately. <laughs> the, it's three o'clock, so I still have a, a few more hours till I can join in on the fun. Yeah, we're all yeah. drinking water. That's an unfortunate I, reality of Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, I, I wish my Tuesday afternoon were a little bit more like Mad Men, but unfortunately I had a cold brew coffee this morning and now I'm having water, so that's that's the excitement of my life. <laughs> well, speaking of excitement, we are having Allison on to talk partially about her work in stats because uh, numbers are something that haven't really entered the women's game yet partially because the data is just not there. Uh, Allison, I think 538 actually had an article. I was like, there just isn't data for women's soccer or for women's sports. Um, what do you think about that? Is that a trend that's starting to disappear? So, I mean, absolutely. It's definitely getting better. And I think that sort of the complaints that I have for women's soccer are also soccer more broadly, I think, just as a much newer sport in general. And the nature of soccer that, you know, it's, it's pretty complicated in terms of how many people are moving and, and what they're doing. So it is just overall a more difficult sport to quantify than I think um, some other sports. And uh, within that, I guess I would say it becomes even harder with um, women's soccer in which we've bounced between leagues and we, you know, you know haven't don't have this same sort of interest level um that we, we do in the men's game where there are private companies um, tracking individual games and following the league so closely or even, you know, personal bloggers um, or fans uh, like you and I, um, there's just not as many to be sort of obsessively tracking things in the way that we have for, for men's sports. So I think it's a sort of a culmination of all of those things um, that lend itself to making uh, it a little bit harder, but not impossible. Um, we had a uh, predictions for the Women's World Cup last summer. And I will say that um, actually the U.S. women's national team um, has pretty good data in terms of we have all FIFA scores going back to all World Cups and we know where those games were played and, um, you know, whether who had home or away advantage and things like that. So it was pretty um, not easy, but it wasn't as bad as we had anticipated to, to sort of make that model. And it was much simpler than the Men's World Cup because we didn't take into account any sort of league data because we didn't have that. Um, whereas with the Men's World Cup, the, the model is a little more sophisticated because we can, you know, see how players are performing in their respective clubs. But um, you can imagine how difficult that would be for the Women's World Cup. Um, you know, maybe we could do that for the U.S. team, but let's try to think of the most obscure uh, country for, for women's soccer, and they probably have uh, tracked nothing. So... Anyway, it, it kind of um, makes our job a little bit easier during these big tournaments, the World Cup, Olympics, et cetera. Um, but where I really start to get frustrated, I guess, is is with the NWSL, who really, um, you know, they haven't done a terrible job. They do have a stats tab on the website, but um, it's just not much nuanced information beyond, you know, goals for and against and stuff like that. And if we really want to um, sort of write more interesting articles about the way um, the game is changing or what certain players are doing, then we really have to get these, um, they need to get contracts with some of these these private data companies, Okta and other ones that, that track individual games and, and have lots of those games uh, so that we can say things about um, how the game is changing. Um, I know that's something that 
we all like to talk about offhandedly for those of us that have followed the game for years, but there really isn't any data to back up any of those assertions. So I find it really hard to, you know, anecdotally we can say the U.S. has moved away from long ball soccer or something without Abby, but um, I would love for there to be to be more numbers to sort of support the things that are probably true, but that we can't say for sure. Yeah, but- totally. I mean, I I think heat maps are sexy. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a data nerd. And so I'm like, yeah, you know, show me in the game, like what's going on? What, what are the trends? It's going to give us a much more sophisticated conversation to have uh, when we're talking about tactics. And maybe then the conversation shifts from like, who's on the roster to what are the actual capabilities of the people on the roster? Or what, how do we tend to see them play well together? Um, and I, I think there's that certain sophistication to the conversation that's kind of been lacking because all we're doing is we're drawing off of our memories and our memories are all going to be so different. Well, in that vein, Allison, what are some of the stats you wish you could start to see in women's soccer as opposed to the stuff we have now, which is like shots, shots on goal? Yeah. So any sort of in-game stats that we would have, that you'd have to get tracked by someone like Opta. And so that's, you know, at the most basic of those are just sort of possession stats and pass completions, you know, those are the simple ones, but then um, you could get crazier with, I don't know, long balls where the ball is being distributed, where, you know, who holds the ball the longest, like down to an individual player. Um, I think there was one, the Opta has done a couple U.S. games, and they did do one last summer during the World Cup. I think it was um, maybe the, the Australia game. But um, so they tracked in-game stats and they sort of looked at these passing network diagrams um, to, to, to sort of look at this sort of the Wombach effect. And, you know, they kind of did see that, like, when she wasn't in the game, it was almost worse because the players still played these long balls forward, expecting her to be there. Um, and, that they, and, uh, and, and if she wasn't in the game, it, it wasn't like they did that any less. So um, it was interesting to see sort of some... Um, more numeric take on what on the Abby um, problem or not problem if you enjoy that style of play. But anyway, they have sort <laughs> of tried to, and that was only for one game. And so we kind of got this snapshot of that game, but maybe that has changed a lot now that Abby has, you know, that was the first World Cup where we had started to see her playing less. And, and now I would love to have that sort of same long ball passes received or even just long ball passes kicked. And I think there's even particulars of what you're defining as a long ball. Um, so you can get even really nitty gritty with those, but to see if the team is changing without her now and things like that, I would love, I would love to have those stats. I think I saw the New York times after the 2011 world cup, they had, uh, those passing pattern graphics for individual players. They had like one for Carly Lloyd, I think. And I think I would really be interested to see Carly Lloyd's passing patterns actually, because she's supposed to function as a 10 for the team. But what she really is, is she's like a deep lying forward. Um, she's not especially, I don't think she's especially connective in the midfield. And I would love to see the data to back that up or to prove me wrong. So, <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's pro- like speaks to, to the difficulty with soccer and maybe in a way that other sports are because, you know, in basketball, it's very clear who the point guard is and, you know, they always do this certain thing, but in soccer, you sort of have these more mixed players or playing as a 10, but what does a 10 really mean? You know, a 10 on one team is different so um and and which is not to say that 
basketball also doesn't have nuance to these positions, but I think soccer especially has really just sort of different uh, types of players to play in different roles. And so it makes it harder to say, yeah, what is a 10? Well, you mentioned companies like Opta. I think we're all pretty familiar with Opta, but I don't know if you necessarily know this, but ballpark, what would it cost a league like NWSL to get some stats going from a company like Opta? Is that is that a feasible cost for them right now? Yeah, I really have no idea. So they had, like, I had approached Opta at the beginning of this year saying, you know, are you doing anything with NWSL? I would love to. And they said, you know, we've sort of reached out to them and haven't been able to come to any agreement. So I'm sure it's going both ways. And um, I'm sure it's also not uh, inexpensive. So uh, I can understand on the priority list that things like getting tracking data probably um, fall below other things like livable salaries and such. <laughs> so <laughs> I understand those concerns and the reality. And and maybe that's on Opta too to, you know, okay, we'll do five games for the price of what we do one game or something. I would like to hope that those are realistic discussions that, you know, a private business could have too, to sort of get their name out there as the first company to be doing tracking with the women's league or something like that, you know? And then speaking of money, just to kind of move us into the next part of the discussion, because I know we all wanted to talk about the CBA lawsuit between U.S. Soccer and the Players Association. Uh, As of this recording, three things have gone down. The first, uh, U.S. Soccer filing in federal court, and then the Players Association response, and then the U.S. Soccer response to the Players Association response. After all of this, what are your thoughts about the situation? Oh, man, it is messy, I will say. It (laughs) seems so messy, and... Also, I I feel so, you know, unqualified to weigh in on anything with legal speak. Um, But it just, just, I guess, seemed disappointing that it's like gotten to this. And now it seems, you know, it seems especially bad on U.S. soccer's part. But it also seems to me a little bit bad on the players union for sort of, you know, not getting their their shit together, making this a priority. And and I'm not totally sure who's at fault. But and I know these CBA things can take you know, so much time and effort to to sort of put together. I remember, I think it was the MLS last year who sort of like, they agreed to something in the spring, but it wasn't really formally signed until the fall. You know, they had been playing um, or practicing for a certain amount of time. So um, I, I do understand, I guess, the nature of CBA is being just really difficult to come to an agreement, but this seems just like it really bad that they let it get out of hand. You know, this thing expired three years ago or something, and then they have this, vague agreement um that they're trying to lean back on and and it just seems like everybody really didn't (laughs) really didn't make this a priority until now they're like you know a month from the nwsl season being like oh oh no like maybe they can strike now or like here we are leading up to the olympics like maybe we should have some terms so i guess yeah it just seems looks bad on everyone's part i guess is sort of sort of how i'm feeling about it yeah it's it's definitely one of those situations where it's like not all press is good press. Um, <laughs> and, and for me, it's, it's one of those things where we're in the exact same spot we were in, in 2012, um, and 2013 with the launch of the NWSL. I, I know that that was huge talk at over here in Portland because we had Alex Morgan and the, everybody was concerned is Alex Morgan actually going to play? Is there going to be a strike? What's going to happen with this NWSL thing? Um, is it going to fall in its face because the national team players are not going to be playing? And what really 
strikes me as odd or, or even lazy is that nothing happened over the three year period. And so suddenly, you know, we, the players win, win the world cup, U S soccer is, is celebrating and, and everything and the honeymoon's over. And suddenly it's like, huh, well now we know our worth. Now we're going to talk about turf in a way that's not kind of a last minute thing. Uh, We're going to, we're going to talk about some of these benefits that we think we should be having, like maybe, you know, better pay, but also flights and accommodations and uh, probably has to do with NWSL and and all these different components. But to me, I completely agree. It kind of seems like the conversation's all happening just much too late and much too rushed that now it's up to the court. Yeah. And I, I guess I'm proud of them too for not sort of just, you know, bending over and being like, right, you're right, let's get something in place for the summer. Like, I totally respect and understand the the players union wanting to be like, no, we need to get, a, you know, something in place that we think addresses all of our concerns. It's just really unfortunate timing. And, and I don't think, and, and it just seems like the way everyone is going about it, at least, you know, from the outside perspective for us, we just see, oh, U.S. soccer is suing the players union. You know, that seems like such a shady back deal and then you know the players are coming out upset obviously you know that our personal information is leaked and like it just seems like everybody is is handling it really poorly and it could have you know been a lot better you know I I I guess I don't think the players probably want to strike on a year that is you know big for them they need to be playing games and stuff but maybe and um so now it just seems everybody's like angry and and things may happen that nobody and neither party wanted just because of the way it's sort of unfolding well in terms of bad timing that may actually not be true in terms of the women's team's mentality because they have so much leverage right now and that's part of the theory of why this is all happening now because now is when they have the most leverage against u.s soccer as opposed to after the olympics where what's at stake not really much so i guess i would ask you and gab then if they did strike and they did withdraw from the Olympics, what do you feel like the optics on that would be? And do you think it would harm U.S. soccer more than the women's national team? Because my feeling is if they did strike, um, they would do their best to spin it in the media in a very sympathetic way. Like this is a, a labor versus management issue. Management has been taking advantage of labor for a really long time. And this is what we had to do in order to be treated correctly by our own federation. And it came down to this. We're really sorry that we couldn't represent the United States, the Olympics. But you know what? In order to set up better conditions for us at future Olympics, this is what had to happen. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I guess I didn't even think that it could get that far, but that seems like a totally plausible scenario hearing you say that. And on the one hand, while it would be like extremely disappointing, and I think a lot of people would expect them to just be like, you have to go for your country. Again, I, I would respect that decision because I I think these players have been fighting for far too long to be treated like a, you know, professional equal league. And so if it came to that, unfortunately, you know, we wouldn't get to see them play. But um, I do think they they would have to do something like that. I don't think they can go to the Olympics with like a memorandum of understanding or whatever, at least in my opinion. Yeah, what do you think? And, and I, I think it'll be really interesting to, to see how the media does portray this, um, because we are talking about this team that 
America falls in love with every four years. Um, and, you know, we just had the ticker tape parade for, they just had uh, a huge, you know, just push and everybody in the mom knows who Carly Lloyd is now. Um, you know, it's not just Hope Solo and, and Abby, it's also, you know, Megan Rapino made a name for herself and all, all of these players are, are becoming a little bit more household names, but it's one of those situations that is just like, who's going to be paying attention to the Olympics? Is the conversation going to be that the defending Olympic champions are not participating in this Olympics? Or is the conversation going to be that U.S. soccer and the women's national team um, are at odds about labor disputes? That's when I'm thankful that I get to write about data and don't have to weigh weigh in with uh, personal opinions and thoughts because that's when I think, yeah, the media can really shape how how this team is covered and stuff. And it's nice to be in a, a more analytical approach to these things. Well, in terms to- of data, totally. <laughs> um, just to start wrapping it up, because we know you've got limited time here. Um, you've written a lot about the women's team, which is awesome to see them on 538 from a more analytical point of view. Because you're right, a lot of coverage till now has been very feelings or memory based, just people saying, I remember, or very basic, basic stuff like wins, losses. And if we're very, very lucky, they'll have shots, shots on goal and saves and stuff like that. So when you were digging into the women's team for any article, were there any stats you found that were um, surprising or more intriguing than you thought they would be? Oh, man. Um, (laughs) Not to put you on the spot or anything. No, no. I mean, I guess we we haven't really had – very good like individual stats I guess you know the biggest things we've done are the predictions and sort of more broad strokes team predictions and I guess once we'd done the model for the world cup and um the U.S. and Germany were so close and you know all of my preconceived notions and I I guess I was surprised to see that they were barely better at the you know at that time they to me especially because we were looking at past world cups and past olympics and all you know, sort of previous data going into that World Cup, I I would have thought that the U.S. would have been, you know, far stronger the favorite. You know, when we did the Men's World Cup, Brazil was favored uh, like 40% or something. And um, this Women's World Cup, the U.S. was just barely above Germany, I think by like one percentage point. And so um, that was really cool for me to see like, oh, it isn't sort of this like the U.S. versus everyone else anymore. And we saw a lot more parity um, with with teams sort of coming up the the conversations that were being had by by sort of non analytical i guess or non data people and um and and then we saw that these things were sort of true going into the world cup and i, I think for me that was really um exciting and reaffirming but um i haven't really i don't know i we haven't gotten a ton of the in-game stats besides the one i mentioned before the the one with the abby effect and stuff and that's the sort of like really fun like particular to a person or the way a team plays that hopefully you know this olympics will get start to see more of those and this nwsl season if they can um you know work something out with these in-game data groups it would be really cool to to start looking at you know more game specific stats you've got to imagine at least the women's national team has some advanced stats going on that they keep for themselves it would be nice to get your hands on that maybe (laughs) Yeah, I like know they Don, all wear... Don Scott's data set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they all do wear like heart rate monitors and all that stuff. And so I'm sure they're trying to look at some stuff 
within the team, or at least I hope, but um, who knows? Yeah, that must have been so cool uh, while the World Cup was was going on of seeing like, you know, the USA Germany match and seeing how equal they actually are and how that match really just came down to like a missed PK to, to, to decide it and to see that the data and the information really just comes true sometimes um because i i also work in data not nearly as exciting as what you do but it's it's really interesting when when the trending actually predicts the future (laughs) totally yeah 538 even had an article here um before the final where it said the united states is twice as likely as japan to win you guys had a a map here that had the u.s at 67 percent japan at 33 so that must have been nice to be validated when Carly Lloyd's like, that's exactly correct. <laughs> yeah, it does feel good to be to be right. But um, sometimes it's good to be wrong, too. I know. Um, I don't know. I don't think in, in many in our, in our in our women's world predictions. Yeah, those those worked out really well, um, which was fun to to do this first one, because we had kind of gone into it being like, nobody can give us a hard time. You know, this is the first time not only us, but like anyone has does this. So you could, you know, that's, that's for me also the exciting thing for anyone sort of getting involved in, in not just women's soccer, but women's sports data in general, like the bar is so low that you can be doing really simple stuff. And, you know, you can be fumbling a little bit more and saying, okay, I only have 10 games. I don't have 10,000 games, like, you know, major league baseball or something. And I'm going to try to make some, you know, intelligent assertions from that. And so I think anyone that, thinks that they don't know enough about data or that, you know, they're not like a crazy data an, an analyst or something like the, the bar is so much lower. So it's, it's really like any, any information beyond just like feelings, I think people are really want to read. So that should, I don't know, that's sort of my plug for like, everyone should just start tracking anything that they're into or they're curious about is what I hope that we'll get more of like a sort of grassroots things because I imagine it is going to take the league longer to to sort of get these contracts in place. So I hope that fans and people will just sort of start tracking stuff too. I think that's that's already happening. And, and isn't the Keeper Notes or uh, Howler, aren't they putting out a like three-year retrospective of the data from the NWSL and what they've been tracking? Um, or what, what not necessarily what they've been tracking, but of the data that they've been able to compile. Um, what are the trends we've just seen over the last three years? I think it's, it's going to be like an info mag or something like that. That's, cool. that's going to be coming out soon. I know there is one person who is trying to break down, trying to break down uh, Portland Thorns games, game by game, and he's generating heat maps for players. And somebody else launched uh, a site, I think it was just Woso Stats, where they're trying to track some deeper stuff like chances created and and stuff like that. Yeah, totally. There is there are some um, definitely some bloggers and things floating around that people are doing it. So it's it's it'll just be more and more exciting as as more people sort of get into the the more data side of, of women's soccer. So are you guys planning on anything for the Olympics over at 538? Or? Yeah, I'll be down there um, almost the whole time. So I'm super excited. Um, and we haven't really decided if we're going to do um, predictions for the tournament um, because we can't tell if people are, you know, as singularly focused on um like they are during the world cup, you know, it's kind of the only thing going on. So we might just do 
only odds for the U.S. or pick certain U.S. games, depending, you know, how the, the draw and everything shakes out. So we haven't fully decided, but we'll definitely be doing some stuff. Absolutely. That is awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast and giving us um, a really good chunk of your time. I know you're always busy over there, and it's awesome to talk about stats in the game because it's just not something that we've had until now. <laughs> of course. Thank you for having me. It was nice to take a break from politics and elections. Uh, <laughs> oh, well then uh who's your pick right now for the Democrats and the Republicans, oh. the front runners? <laughs> I'm I'm not allowed just as I'm not allowed to bring personal feelings to women's soccer, I cannot bring my personal politics also to, to no, 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 not for, just based on the data. Who are you seeing? <laughs> just oh. just based on the data. Yeah, yeah. Just I love based, it. Well we have our forecast I think tonight for New Hampshire is uh Bernie should absolutely crush Hillary and I think Trump will is also leading our forecast so those are those are what the data says all right exciting times <laughs> exciting times thank you very much Allison once again that's yeah. Allison McCann from 538 thank you guys for having me it was really fun thank you oh I forgot to congratulate her she wrote this great article about uh the Nicki Minaj effect and how Nicki's actually doing much better than Drake but nobody's talking about it as much and like uh. Nicki Minaj herself was like, yes, <laughs> me know someone who's been congratulated by Nicki Minaj. Uh, she, it, she is kind of a big deal, this Allison. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. That was Allison McCann, big time soccer stats nerd. Great she's, she's probably a bigger stats nerd than we are. No, she's definitely a bigger stats nerd than we are because that's her job to be a stats nerd. I'm okay. I'm not a stats nerd. I, yeah, fine. I just moonlight as one every once in a while. She's a sports stats nerd. I know. It's so cool. Her job is so cool. I really am looking forward to the day when we have access to really deep data on women's soccer. When you can look at a game and break it down into its components player by player. Not only deep data, but having access to historic data as well. That's true. Easy, easy access instead of having to navigate U.S. soccer's joke of a website and hoping that you that click the right thing. update every quarter. I know. We also talked about the Players Association, the lawsuit against them by U.S. Soccer, and we mentioned that there have been three filings so far. First, the original filing, where U.S. Soccer was like, come on, come on, declare this a CBA, we gotta go. And then the Players Association going, hold on, hold on, you had seven months to file this, and you're just filing it now? That's not gonna play with us. And then U.S. Soccer striking back and saying, well, actually... So my layman's impression of it is that U.S. soccer realized that the deadline was coming up, and they actually realized that the She Believes tournament is after the deadline. This tournament that they're now selling tickets for, they have you know the top five teams, uh, according to the FIFA rankings, are participating in, um, or four of the five teams, I guess, uh, are participating in. So U.S. soccer sees this sense of urgency, um, especially given the fact that they've been in negotiations or talks or something with the, the players' rep. And something shit hit the fan a couple weekends ago, and U.S. soccer files paperwork that says, uh, we need to avoid a strike. It's not that they're threatening a strike, but we foresee a strike. We need to avoid that by the court saying this is a valid CBA. And the paperwork that they submitted was not um, comprehensive. 
And so then the player's lawyer goes back through all of the evidence um, and documentation, I guess not evidence, but all of the the documentation that they, the U.S. soccer provided to say this is a valid CBA, the MOU is acting as the CBA, it's just an extension. And the player's rep said, no, actually you've left out things that said in the future we will work on the CBA or we will address this when we drop the new CBA or things like this is not, does not necessarily comprise everything included in the original CBA. Yeah, I think. And I'm a little confused as to what the third thing is that's happened that U.S. Soccer said. Well, I think what the Players Association lawyer is trying to get at is he's saying you left out stuff that using your own language indicates what is going on right now is not a CBA. But I think what the court is actually going to look at is, well, is it still a contract regardless of what you called it, regardless of the language used? Now, U.S. Soccer's thing that they filed in response to the response, U.S. Soccer essentially saying... It's not just going to impact the Olympics if the players decide to delay things. There's also the NWSL season to think about, which I feel like is a little rich coming from U.S. soccer, acting as if they give a shit about NWSL, but whatever. They're going to include it in their complaint. And technically, yes, they're right. Well, I mean, they do fund about $1.5 million toward the NWSL every year. That's true. That's true. But aside from the money they give the league, does it seem like they actually really care about it no yeah it's like your rich dad who you see on the weekends gives you enough money to go out and hang with your friends but doesn't actually care if you break curfew when you come in but oh my god are you going to be grounded if you make him look bad yes if you embarrass him in front of his friends his partners his boss (sighs) his boss You you best not act out And then U.S. Soccer is also saying the Players Association wants to wait until June to finally get all this settled, as opposed to the deadline in February they originally gave us for the strike. What's going on here? You can't really have it both ways. And if they're suggesting that there's no urgency because they're not going to strike, then all they have to do is pledge that there won't be a strike and we can relax on a lot of the stuff that's going on between us, like... If y'all are cool, we'll be cool. What U.S. Soccer, I guess what they feel like is there's a quote right out of the filing that I think sums up their mindset on the whole thing really well. Summing up the Players Association's actions as saying, We know pointing a loaded gun at U.S. Soccer's head to get a better deal than we have is wrong. But we are asking you, the court, to turn a blind eye for a while so we can continue to point the gun and see what we can get. And they might not be wrong in phrasing it that way or in categorizing the Players Association's behavior. But on the other side, I don't necessarily see the Players Association trying to leverage U.S. soccer to get what they feel is owed them as a bad thing. No, no. And this is this is why unions exist. Yes, I am pro-union, pro-labor. Sure. Um, and it's it's one of those situations where it always gets ugly. This is the reason why, you know, usually both the union and uh, the firm that the union works for or, or the industry uh, have teams of lawyers um, who are constantly working these things out. Now, the fact that the U.S. Women's National Team hasn't had an update since 20, 
or since when was the last one? Two thousand five. Um, two thousand five scheduled to end at the end of twenty twelve. Yep. Yeah. So so two thousand five. You know they haven't had one since then, and this this is huge. Um, because so much has happened since t- 2005. Uh, and so I think U.S. soccer just needs to realize the position that everyone's in and say, okay, what do we need to do to make sure that things actually work out well? Um, as opposed to saying, we just need to make it past the Olympics and then we'll figure all of this out. Yeah, so ultimately, U.S. soccer wants court to declare now whether CBA or not. Players Association wants to push that off a little bit, and I think maybe U.S. soccer senses that the court would side with them, which is why they want a declaration now, and the Players Association wants to wait a little bit. We'll see. I mean, yes, U.S. soccer did leave out some stuff from a deposition and mischaracterized an email from uh, Ruth Uselton to kind of bend the language more in their favor, but... I, th- I think that the, the language will matter if the court ends up having to look outside the document itself to the party's behavior to determine if there is a contract in place. But once again, that's an if. What if the court just looks at the document itself and goes, fine, there's a contract. Don't strike. Everybody leave us alone. I'm, I'm excited to see what we wake up to tomorrow morning. Oh, God, I'm not. Just can everybody just slow down, please? I feel like we, we get a little something something every day. Yeah. Who said the off season would be boring? Not uh, us. My off season has definitely not been boring. Yeah. So next episode we'll be talking about Concacaf Olympic qualifiers because we'll have gotten through a good chunk of those by the time we record next, and I'm sure something else highly dramatic will have gone down by then. I don't know. Maybe Heather O'Reilly will have mailed a bag of flaming dog poo to Jill Ellis's doorstep. Jesus. <laughs> I mean, like, what do you think could happen? Do you like? Part of me is like, what if the men's national team like stands with the women's national team? Would they? Well, no, I don't think they actually would. But what if they did? Hmm. What if all of a sudden Tim Howard is like, hello, it is I, Tim Howard, representative of truth, justice, freedom, and the American way. You know what? The women are right. Timmy. That would like, be great. That what would be if, great. You know, what if uh, the women's national team started doing media circuits? They might be, although right now, most media is Hope Solo saying that she currently wouldn't risk going to Brazil over the Zika virus. Yeah, but to me, that's just caps, 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 caps. Yeah. I don't know if the players are intentionally staying mum because they want to let this play out in the court court and not the court of public opinion, or if their lawyers advise them, hey, don't talk about this, you might inadvertently make it worse with something we don't know. Like, even if you stay on message, we don't want you to be out there stirring the pot. Just let us handle this. Who knows? I don't know, man. I don't know. They've they've got to turn around real quick from this Olympic qualifier, though. To and do the she and do the she believes tour. The she believes. That's what I'm calling it. It's yeah. a fucking tour. It's not a. It's not a cup. It's well, a she believes tour. Quals end February twenty first. First game against England is March third. So, yeah, that's really not a lot of time. That's about ten days, maybe less than that. Is this a leap That's year? That's like nine business days. It's yes. A, it's a leap it year. Is, we have the 29th. Yeah. So it's a little less than two weeks to turn around. So I don't even know if players going to get the chance to go home. They might hop home, pack a new suitcase, and then fly on down to Tampa Bay. Regardless, we'll be sure to talk about it on the podcast. So stay tuned for that nonstop action here in the off season. Okay, real quick, Gab, before we sign off. 
tomorrow, CONCACAF Olympic qualifying starts off. It's USA versus Costa Rica at 8.30 Eastern. Your prediction? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm going to be in an airport. Um, This is going to probably be the most intense game for the women's national team, uh, aside from, like, the final. Uh, I think... Because we are always slow starters. Like, we never start tournaments on our best foot. So I'm actually going to say this is going to be a one-to-one draw. With Costa Rica? Hmm. With Costa Rica. Okay. I mean, I... We, never, we never start well. We never do well in tournaments, like, at the beginning. But we finish strong. We're, we're strong finishers. Strong, I guess we'll, strong we'll see what Jill Ellis intends when we see that starting lineup because, you know, the starting 11 is going to signal her intentions for the rest of the tournament. Hopefully. Okay. Well, this is me signaling my intentions to log off. Wait, what's your score? <laughs> I thought I was going to get away scot-free. No, you're not going to get away. I'm, I'm going to call it book. for nothing for the United States. Wow. Wow. Way to make me look unpatriotic. Gab's calling it 1-1. I'm saying 4 nothing. It'll probably be 5-1. So, good job us. Good job us. Our powers combined. We are unstoppable. All right. We'll see you guys on the other side of this tournament. Bye. Bye.